Now, how many of you have been blessed by the evangelist testimonies that have been happening each week? Amen. It's great to hear of the amazing, amazing things that our church members are doing on the streets as they go out to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Last week, we saw 10 people saved, and I believe again today, we've seen another 10 people saved. Amen. So let's give glory to Jesus for that. Brett, why don't you just give us a quick report, and then we'll hear from Sarah about uh, some specific testimonies. How's it gone today? Yeah, t- today's gone well. We, uh, we met downstairs at 4.15. Um, if you're wondering what God's calling you to do, I think he's calling you to be downstairs at 4.15 next Sunday. <laughs> Hallelujah! To be a part of the mission team and, and outreach. But we met down there. We're just still really feeding off the 9 and 11 uh, message from Bruce, just about an anointing for the job, you know, and uh, we waited upon the Lord, and there was a great atmosphere that started to build, and, and the tangible presence of, of the Holy Spirit, and we went out, and we preached, uh, we changed the location, we preached uh, on Labrick Grove, and it was really powerful, because I didn't realize until after I actually went into the shop, but the whole of Sainsbury was under the anointing, and under the preaching of the word today, it was really good, we had one guy stopped in a car at a green light, to undo his window and stop and have a listen to what was going on, which is a prayer of mine. I want to stop the traffic in Jesus' name. But uh, we're just preaching the truth about Jesus Christ. A lot of people use his name as a swear word. And, um, and as a result, we had, uh, I think, six people gave their lives to Christ. Some of our team, uh, one of our team members, Jean, came out with us, and she, she led a family to the Lord, a, a, a youth, the youth in the family. Um, yeah, so we just give God praise for that. But there's something happening in the spiritual realm at Labrick Grove. Normally, people come out to tell us to shut up, but this time they were coming out to listen. All right, all the shops were, were under the anointing and under the preaching, so we thank God. Amen. Fantastic, Brad. Thank you so much. And Sarah and Funmi, um, so you were preaching on the streets today? No, uh, we didn't preach. Oh, yes, yes. Oh, no, I went to one place. <laughs> See, they see preaching as they stand up on the box with the microphone and preach, but they were doing one-to-one sharing of the gospel. Yeah, yes, yeah. Um, yes, we did. Uh, we had um, three souls uh, come to the Lord today. Simon led one, uh, Yvonne led one, and myself and uh, Fumi led one. Fumi is quite new, so she's a new evangelist. She's done the XEE course, finished it, and straight away she joined uh, the Sunday teams. So, you know, today she's... So, Fudmi, tell us, how, how was that experience going straight from XEE to the street? Was it um, out of your comfort zone? Yes, it was out of my comfort zone, a bit challenging. So I just stood by Sarah, who is experienced evangelist. Yeah. And so, Sarah, were you leading the conversation? Yes. I, I mean, we were sharing. She, she, she was, you know, coming in as well. And she was a great help, really, a, a good, great help. And we had this uh, uh, homeless man... Um, I mean, we didn't know anyway. Obviously, he was dirty and, and stuff, and he was drunk. <laughs> and, uh, so we stopped him and we asked him, you know, if uh, he knew where he would go if he were to die. And, and he said, uh, uh, No, I said, we said, Do you know Jesus? He said, Oh, oh yes, I know Jesus, and I, I know the devil. And, and we said, uh, Oh, Jesus visit me, and the devil visits me. And I said, oh, yes, you know, it's true what you're saying, because I can tell that both of them. And, and really and truly, he, he was born again, and he's Lebanese. 
and he ended up in the streets of, of London, uh, you know, a huge story behind that. And that's when, you know, kind of, you know, his life came into a mess and he started doing what he's doing now, he's drinking and all that. And so we just told him that, you know, you need to um, reconcile your life with Jesus. You know, you know, we know your situation. We know you don't have anywhere to live, but, you know, still you need to really consider bringing uh, your life back to Jesus. So what he did was, you know, because he was a bit drunk as well, and then he was doing his own thing. And then he ended up saying, oh, yeah, yes, okay, I'm okay. He left. And then we forgot about him. We carried on uh, talking to other people. And just when we were closing, he came back, rushing, took his head off, and he said, I beg you, pray for me, pray for me. And really, he was crying this time. He was really, really emotional. And he just took, took us aback. I mean, we said, you know, come all the way from where he was. It was like, you know, the Holy Spirit just arrested him. And this time, he was really serious. He was, I mean, almost knelt down, uh, begging us to pray for him. So we prayed for him, um, you know, and then he did admit he's struggling with alcohol. We prayed for him for healing from alcoholism. You know, we bound the devil, of course, and, uh, you know, uh, we, we just took him on. We, 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 we prayed for housing. We prayed for, you know, all the things that are going in his life. And uh, we showed him uh, the address of the church, and we invited him to come here. He said he would come, but, you know, obviously today he wasn't in his right mind. But, you know, I believe that, you know, Jesus, people, there are people out there who today are preachers and they, they met Jesus when they were drunk or high on drugs. So we don't give up on these people when they are high. So I believe that Jesus did something. Amen, sir. And, and, and that's so good because we do see people, though they're drunk, they do come in and they get under the word of God and we see their lives turned around. We've seen plenty of homeless people um, in the house of God become sober, go back and get housing, get their lives restored because God has done something great in them. So let's keep praying for all of the great work these team are doing. Thank you so much, Bruce. Amen. Well, bring greetings from Colin. He is um, in Marseille right now. Uh, we have a work in Marseille. We've got a Bible school there, and we're working with churches, and so he's out there at the moment. He's also going to be visiting our church in Paris as well in the next week or so, so do keep him in prayer. And just to keep, keep giving you the encouraging news, um, when we had our mission months in July, we had a target of £50,000 for the work that we wanted to do in Brazil, and uh, we're now at 44 and a half thousand pounds. So that's great news. Thank you, amen. We've also raised 5,000 pounds for church planting in Romania as well. So uh, all of you that have helped us, uh, Romanians are happy. So all, uh, all of you that helped in that over that month and uh, Amanda Collins' wife yesterday had a, a lot of the ladies out in, the, in a car boot sale in the car park, and that raised 1,000, 1,200 pounds or so um, yesterday so, amongst the neighborhood as well. So I just wanted to keep you informed. Money's still coming in um, because it's going, to, it's going to do a lot of good. Well, if you have your Bibles with you, you might want to turn to Matthew chapter 8. And verse 5, believing that the Holy Spirit is going to meet with us tonight, I know he's already been meeting with us, but 
We believe that he's going to do some miracles in people's lives. We really do we believe that God's going to turn some things around during the time of ministry later on. And uh, we're here to hear the word and, and meet with God. But I want to encourage you today to extend your faith and expectation to God. Because God is ready to touch you at your point of need this evening. And if we expect and reach out to him, he will reach out to us. I want to speak today about understanding spiritual authority. And here in Matthew chapter 8, verse 5, we're going to hear the story of the centurion's servant that Jesus healed with a word. Now, when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and another come, and he comes, and to my servant do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to those who followed, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And I say to you that many will come from east and west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go your way, and as you have believed, so let it be done for you. And his servant was healed that same hour. In the uh, rec record of Matthew, we're just coming out of chapter 7, and in Matthew chapter 5 and chapter 7, we have the Sermon on the Mount, and we hear the astonishing supernatural teaching of God and the greatest sermon that has ever been preached by Jesus. And now as we come into chapter 8 from astonishing teaching, we come into astonishing works of power. Just before the healing of the centurion's servant, we have the leper that was healed. And then straight after the healing of the centurion's servant, we have Peter's mother-in-law being healed. And then verse 16, when evening had come, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, he himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. So in this teaching and this presentation by Matthew of Jesus' life, we see the authority of his word, but also we see the miraculous authority of his power. And, and Matthew is showing us that these two things were part of Jesus' ministry. And we know that he went around teaching in the synagogues, preaching the gospel, and healing the sick. And we believe that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So we believe that there are some people in this place today that maybe God's got a word for. We're going to open the platform for some prophetic ministry 
tonight and we're hearing reports that these, these prophetic ministries are helping and touching people. And the more we have to prophesy, the more we can hit quickly and let the word of the Lord out. But we're also believing God for increased miracles and healings. It's my conviction that healings and miracles are going to increase in these days. Now, you'd say, well, you would say that, and it's a good thing to say anyway, true. But I do have an inner conviction that God is going to increase his healing work amongst us. But my conviction is that it's really going to be accompanying the word. Do you know what I'm saying? Well, let me explain a little bit. Here in Matthew 5 to 7, we have the word, the astonishing teaching. The most important thing is the word of God, the gospel of God and the preaching of God, and the sharing of the gospel. As you heard earlier, people taking the word of God to the streets and seeing transformation and challenge. But alongside the word, God wants to work mighty works of power and healing. Alongside the word. The word first accompanied, accompanied by healings and miracles. Now sometimes in the charismatic church and when you look at some of the charismatic programs on TV, and some of them are absolutely fantastic, by the way, but sometimes it's almost like miracles and healings, it's almost like they're being hyped up. Do you know what I'm saying? It's like someone has a healing and they're paraded, like Exhibit A, and every ounce of whatever they can get out of that healing, you know, is, is got out. And, and I, I believe in testimonies, and... And we have people testify on these evenings as the Spirit leads us. And I've got no, no worries if the Lord gives a word to bring somebody up on the platform, pray for them, and see if they're healed immediately. Do you hear what I'm saying? But I believe that, that when, I look, when I've been reading the book of Acts, when I've been looking at Jesus and the, the apostles, a lot of the healings were just by the by. Do you know what I'm saying? They were doing the work of the word they were preaching the gospel. Oh, and people were getting healed. I mean, often when Jesus healed, it was along the way, wasn't it? I mean, you know, even with this centurion, it was sort of like Jesus is along the way. And the centurion pops up and says, oh, by the way, can you help me? And Jesus responds to it. Many times when Jesus healed people, he said they came to him in need or he saw them in need. And he healed them and he went, shh. Why would Jesus tell people to shh? Because he didn't want the miracle to get in the way of the word. It was like, yeah, I'm, I'm ministering the gospel, I'm preaching the gospel, I'm, I'm mainly here to save people and disciple them, and as I'm doing that, healings are taking place. I'm meeting people's needs. It's accompanying the major ministry, which is evangelism and discipleship and life transformation. But all that time, healings were just happening, bang, bang, bang. When the disciples went in to preach the gospel, it was the gospel they went in to preach. Oh, and signs followed and accompanied them. When you look at the book of Acts as well, the apostolic work and the preaching of the gospel was taking place. Oh, and by the way, people were getting healed. Almost sort of like on an aside. Do you hear what I'm saying? And people would get healed and people would be delivered. Um, but the major thing was evangelism and the call to discipleship. And I believe that God is going to do many wonderful miracles through your hands. And healings through your hands. I really, really feel that. And I believe that, as Colin has said many times before, and I believe this is going to be taken to a new stage, 
that God is going to use the body of Christ more and more for the miraculous ministry. And you're going to find yourself, and the evangelists already do this, but evangelists and those that go out in the streets, you're going to find more and more healings and miracles. People are going to come to you. You'll continue to pray for them, the sick, healing on the streets, and they'll be healed. They'll, they'll come in. You'll pray for them. They'll be healed. You'll never see them again. But miraculous things will take place in their bodies. I also want to encourage you to be more sensitive to the Spirit about praying for neighbors and friends and colleagues. You have to earn the right. You have to ask permission. You have to be in the right place. Pray for them. And you know what? More and more, I think God's just going to do these miracles without any hype. Not that we're out to hype, but I'm just saying, you just, you, you just see, in this miracle, I'm, I'm, I just, I'm flowing, I'm not really good. <laughs> anyway, in this miracle, it, it was just a word. It was just a word. In fact, it wasn't a word. It was just like, go your way. And as you have believed, let it be done for you. So simple. So easy, so quiet. Go your way. Your servant is healed. One word. No hyping it up. No, nothing like that. It's just the Holy Spirit was present to heal. Just healing. Just ready to heal. This wonderful simplicity of the miraculous breaking out amongst us. And no hype. No, no, no people healing. And, and, and You know, we want to hear the testimonies but no sort of jumping up and down like, you know, I'm the new man or woman of God, of power of the hour, but a sort of, well, this is what Jesus does. And understanding that this is, we're doing the discipleship, we're preaching the word. Oh, and by the way, Jesus is healing left, right, and center. So where you would not pray, pray for one another. Ministry team, increase your faith, if, I, if that's the right way of putting it. When you lay hands on the sick, and just believe. Lay hands and just expect God is going to do incredible miracles in very simple ways. Very simple ways. Because this was a very simple way. Uh, and, and I think sometimes we, we make the healing into such a big thing. But the healing is the work of the master. And I really believe that the healings and miracles are going to increase amongst the body. Cell group leaders and cells pray for miracles amongst one another. It's, there's going to be an outbreak of the miraculous. And so here, in, in this miracle, we see that it's a strange miracle because this is a centurion. And normally, centurions and Jews wouldn't mix. He's in Caesarea, sorry, he's in Capernaum. And Capernaum had a large Roman garrison there. And um, obviously, the news about Jesus had been getting out. And it's an interesting insight into this centurion because although he must have been a battle-hardened man to get to the level of centurion, and although, as we see, he's used to being obeyed and obeyed instantly, the man had a heart because his servant to him was not just a servant that was put out of action, but he was greatly concerned and distressed and compassionate about what his servant is doing. Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. I mean, in those words, you see the compassion of the centurion 
And that compassion, I believe, was what really spoke to Jesus, who also had a similar compassion for all those that were under the oppression of sickness, sin, and the, and the devil. And uh, this centurion came to him in verse 5, pleading with him. So this wasn't just a quick conversation where Jesus is walking along, a centurion comes up and says, oh, my servant is unwell, can you help? And Jesus says, uh, okay, I'll come. And the centurion says, just say the word. There's a pleading going on, a pleading. So what was happening? What does that mean there was a pleading? What was, was Jesus in some way showing a resistance? We remember the Syrophoenician woman, do you remember that? And Jesus was downright rude to her. Well, we would think that. She comes to her and her daughter is in a bad situation and asks for healing and he says, it's not right to give the bread to the dogs. In other words, I've got the bread, but you're a dog. And then she is so desirous of seeing her, her daughter healing. It's amazing what people will do to see someone healed. She said, all right, I'll be a dog. But even the dog gets the scraps. And that totally and utterly moved Jesus into a place of absolute astonishment. I mean, isn't it incredible? It is possible to astonish and amaze Jesus. It's, it's impossible for him to say, wow, look at that. Look at that. And the woman did it, and the centurion also did it. So there's some pleading going on and some humbling going on in the centurion's life. He, Roman centurions aren't used to humbling themselves and pleading with Jewish carpenters. Not in those days. You'd have thought that he would, because normally you would expect the centurion, maybe not even turn up. He hears that there's a Jewish healer in uh, Capernaum. So what do you do as a centurion with a hundred men under you? Send one of your men. Go and get that carpenter. Bring him here and see what he can do with my servant. I, I won't be there at the time, but see if you can get this man. What if he won't come, centurion? Make him come. You have ways of making him come. So you'd have thought that he could do that. So isn't it interesting in this mentality of this man who had known battle, warfare, bloodshed, who was in a powerful place of authority where he was basically like Caesar to, have, to, who, to his men on behalf of Caesar and, and had, he could do whatever he wanted with the people around him. No one's going to resist him. He's in an extremely powerful place. So he could have forced this Jewish carpenter to come, but he didn't. He actually came himself, didn't send a representative, came himself and was prepared to plead. You say, is that important? Yes, because when we talk about spiritual authority and authority, we see that right from the beginning, this man, this centurion, understood what authority was. One of the greatest failings of Christians in Britain today is they have no idea what spiritual authority is. Absolutely no idea of spiritual authority, of alignment to spiritual authority. It's like the tribes of Israel uh, during the judges where, uh, uh, where everybody would go to their own house. Everybody does what's right in their own eyes. Everybody follows authority 
if they decide that that authority is correct to, to, to decide. No concept at all of spiritual authority. It's the spirit of the age. Most Christians just bring the world with them into, into the kingdom. But there is spiritual authority in this kingdom. And whether you recognize it or not, that's how God works. This centurion is a lesson to us all because he recognized spiritual authority. Very often I have found that Christians that have a lot of authority in business, Christians who have authority in, in the world, that they, they bring those concepts into the church. You know, I remember one church when I was a young lad and you know, the vicar was in charge. Well, he wasn't. I mean, I felt sorry for the vicar. He was meant to be leading the church, but parish council meeting uh, that my mum used to go to, that's why I know about it, it was World War III. Because all these people who had made it in the world, who had positions and authorities in the world, thought that they knew about spiritual authority and what should happen in the church, so they had just as much idea as this vicar, who never made it in the world, about what we should do and how we should do it in their church. But they were deceived. They, had, they didn't have the first idea of what spiritual authority was. They just thought that the worldly authority, well, you, you know, if you're big in the world, you should be big in the church. And they were wrong. But look how different this centurion was, who really was carrying life or death authority and had the power of 100 highly trained, courageous Romans to back up his authority. For him, this is why, you see, to us, it's not perhaps amazing what he did. Maybe we're familiar with the story, known it a long time. And, and I mean, when I read this story to you, I didn't hear gasps and like, oh, people fainting in the congregation as I read it, because I just can't believe what faith. When we read that, you know, nobody went, oh my, oh. Oh, I need to lie down, have a glass of water. Oh, I've never, ever heard of such a faith. And yet Jesus, this is the only time in Matthew that Jesus showed astonishment at any other person. We see that in Luke and everything. But in Matthew, this is the only time he was astonished. And not the word astonishment, uh, that Jesus was astonished, was marveled. It's like the reaction that people have when a dramatic, instantaneous miracle takes place in the New Testament, it says they were astonished, they were dumbfounded, they were speechless. It must have been incredible. You ever seen somebody who's just dumbfounded, amazed? Have you ever been in a place where you just, I can't believe, I just can't believe what happened, I just can't believe it, I, I don't know how to respond, I've been, not, I've been knocked off, um, you know, I don't feel, I just don't know what to do. I don't know how to respond. I can't believe it. Jesus was like that. So somehow we have to dig a little bit if we can try and understand what really would just knock Jesus out in such a powerful way. And so it is incredible that this man, without knowledge, just simply by a, being a man of authority, and understanding the principles of authority, because all truth is parallel. Morris Sorello is absolutely right. All truth 
is parallel. And so when you look at the parallel truths of understanding true authority, not, not abused authority in the world, that's not parallel with the kingdom of God, but true principles of authority are parallel. And so he could understand his worldly authority and he could understand the true principles of that authority and then he heard about what Jesus was doing and realized that Jesus did not only have authority over sickness, not only have authority over sin, but he had power over sin. You see, if you have authority and no power, you have no authority, isn't that correct? And when you understand what authority is, it has to carry power. So, for example, a policeman has authority. And... Uh, and a policeman has authority, but only so far in which he has power to exercise it. So a policeman comes and he says to you, right, stop doing that. He says to a robber, he sees a robber trying to break in one of the shops in Notting Hill Gate, and he says, stop doing that. Uh, and the robber says, no, and he says, right, I'm going to arrest you. And uh, he's a small policeman, and this is a big robber, and the robber just laughs at him and said, you don't have the power to, uh, to, to, to have the authority to rescue me. So what does the policeman do? He calls up Notting Hill Gate Police Station and they send a whole bunch of them. Now, if a whole bunch of those policemen could not subdue and force, remember, it's called a police force. So if, that, if they could not force the authority, then they would have to call up the whole of the Metropolitan Police. If this man was superhuman, some sort of like Superman or something, one of these, you know, Marvel characters and they still couldn't subdue him, well, they could call up the whole of the police in Great Britain. If they still couldn't put the cuffs on him, they could call up the army, the navy, and the air force. If they still couldn't put the cuffs on this man with all that, then they have no authority over him because all the power backing it up is not enough to take him into custody. Do you understand? And so authority is always backed up by force by force. And he knew that, and he knew that the Roman Empire had authority because it had force or power to back it up, back up that authority. And so when he looked at Jesus and he saw, he saw the power. He heard about the power. He heard people were being raised from the dead. He heard people were being healed from the sick. He heard demonic powers were coming out of people. He heard miracles, miraculous miracles, the, the, uh, of feeding of the 5,000s. I don't know how many of these things had happened by this time, but I'm just saying, these are the type of things he would have heard. And he said, power, force, wow. That type of manifestation, that type of power, that type of force, that, that's, that's, that's a man with authority. I know what authority is, and I have authority over a hundred men, and I know what we hundred men can do in a battle, but, but to have such force that healing, blind eyes can be opened, deaf ears can be heard, uh, ear, can hear, demons can be cast out. What kind of brute force or power is this over creation, over sickness? And he thought in his mind, the sort of person that does these miracles must have absolutely incredible authority. In fact, this must be like the, the Son of God. And he also knew, and he speaks about this, that authority flows. Authority comes from where? The centurion only had authority and power in so much 
that he was obedient to Caesar. Correct? And so he says, look, I'm a man under authority, and here's my power. I tell soldiers to do this. And he recognized not only Jesus was wielding authority and power, but Jesus was under authority himself. And Jesus said, I've just come to, to do my, my father's will, and I don't do anything unless I see him do it. And, and I don't speak on my own. I don't act on my own. The works that I do come from my father. You know, there has never been anybody that wielded so much authority and power on planet Earth than Jesus. But there's also never been anybody that was so in submission to an authority as Jesus. Wielded the most power on the earth of any man. But at the same time, no one has been under authority and submissive to authority on the earth like Jesus. I mean, Jesus was so willingly submissive to the authority of the Father that he left his throne of glory and came down to earth as a child and grew in obedience and was obedient even unto the cross. When the devil tested him, the test that the devil gave him, those three tests that I spoke of this morning, those three tests were testing his relationship of submission to his father. Turn these stones into bread. Use your power for yourself. You be the authority figure. You say you're the son of God. You use this power in whatever way you want. Use this power indiscriminately for your own benefit. That was the first test. Son of God, you need bread, do it. Use it for yourself. You be the authority. He wouldn't do it. And then the next one, of course, is on the pinnacle of the temple. Throw yourself off. Take the shortcut. You call yourself the Son of God? You don't have to go to the cross. Peter would echo that later. You don't have to go to the cross. You can do it this way. You can do it the easy way. You've got all this power. You can throw yourself off and you can command angels to catch you. Wow, in one miraculous stroke. The whole of Israel will fall at your feet. You won't have to shed blood. You won't have to suffer betrayal. You won't have to be alone. You won't have to go on the cross. Uh, just, just do it yourself. He said, no, I won't do it. No, I will not. I will follow my father's plan. And then the last test, outright the devil challenged his relationship of submission to the father. And he said, all of this power all of the nations of the world have been given to me. Bow down, worship me, let me be your authority figure, and you can have it all. So Jesus, the, the centurion, saw all this in a flash of revelation. You know, he saw this. Jesus was the most powerful man on earth, wielding incredible authority, yet at the same time was the, most, the man in most submission. Now, in the church today, generally speaking, everybody wants the power, nobody wants the submission. Everybody wants to be the God's man or woman of power for the hour. Everybody wants the miracles. Everybody wants the demonstrations. Everybody, I tell you what, so many people would not pass those tests in the wilderness. So many people, first thing they do is turn stones into bread. Hey, I've got the power, I'm going to benefit from it. Unfortunately, in certain ministries... And certain, uh, certain churches, what has happened is that ministers have used any semblance of power or anointing that is, have given to them, and they have used it to ex do exactly that, to turn stones into bread. 
In other words, they take the gifting of God, the anointing of God, the favor of God, and they turn it into wealth for themselves. They turn it into position for themselves. They turn it, and they utilize the ministry to turn stones into bread for themselves. And then they call it prosperity. Also, the second test, people would love, love the demonstration. Love to leap from the temple and have the angels catch you. Love the shortcut, the manifestation, the so-called glory, the big hit, the, 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 the attention-seeking, attention-grabbing sensationalism. Very few, and I don't know if I could because I've never been in that scenario, so I'm careful about what I say because you, know, you should never judge somebody when you've never been in it properly in their shoes, you know what I'm saying? But very few Christian ministers can handle any sort of media exposure. As, as soon as the media of the world starts to court them, as soon as they get on TV or get a spot on the radio or something like that, integrity so often goes out of the window. They start soft-soaping the powerful message of the gospel and tweaking it to suit the unregenerate, those that, that aren't there. And, and, and then they, they, they start to lose their integrity. I don't know what that must like. I've never been under, under that pressure. But that sensation, that shortcut to popularity, you see? But here, this centurion saw somebody that was under authority. It wasn't just the power that excited him. It was the submission that excited him. Because this Roman, we know he had a heart for people because of his servant. What must have been it like with this centurion who actually cared for people? He was a tough old boot, I'm sure. And people in battle and commanders in battle often say one of the most difficult things about being a commander with authority in battle is that you've got to send people to their death. And sometimes you see this, that, that great um, series on uh, Band of Brothers, which looks at the American soldiers, you know, from D-Day, the paratroopers. And some of them were saying in the clips, because they have the program, but then after, and just before, they speak to the real people that were there. And, they were, and I remember one captain saying, you know, the hardest thing is that when you're in an action or an operation, you've got to ask people to do things where you know that they're probably going to die. Someone's got to go first. Someone's got to charge. And then you send them, and they die. And you've got no other option but to choose someone to send. And that centurion must have been in situations like that. And who has more courage, the one that sends or the one that goes? It's supposed to be very difficult for a sensitive heart to send someone to their death. But think of the courage of somebody that unquestioningly obeys the orders of this centurion. And how I think this centurion, not, I think he really understood authority. This is what I'm trying to say. And this is what amazed him. I think the centurion understood authority. You know, it's one thing to, to give out orders. It's a totally another thing to take them. And many people are good at giving orders, but not good at taking them. And sometimes I've found over the years in various different scenarios that those that go around thinking they're leaders, giving orders, are extremely bad followers. 
And they, and, and they can tell people to do stuff they would never do themselves. And when they tell people to do something, and you turn around and tell them to do the same, all rebellion breaks loose. You know what I'm talking. You know what I'm talking about. I'm, you know what I'm talking about. Well, this centurion knew what it was to ask people to do things that really didn't want to ask, but the job had to be done. Why? Because he appreciated authority. Anybody that wields true authority, spiritual or natural, and wields it properly, understands the incredible responsibilities of authority. People that want authority don't deserve it. People that go, oh, I'm going to be this, I'm going to be that one day, I want to be whatever area of life, and you, and you want the power, you don't deserve it. Real people that are in authority don't particularly want it and would be perfectly happy without it. Those that want it, grab for it, wouldn't be happy without it, are not fit for service. But those that say, I could do without this. I could do without this authority. Are exactly the people God wants to give it to them. Why? Because they understand the incredible trust that you are given when God gives you authority. I'm speaking about spiritual authority, but also when God gives you authority anywhere, in any situation. I mean, the incredible, the incredible responsibility of having a child and being a parent authority over that. So I think this centurion had made decisions and thought, well, I've got to make these. I don't want to make these decisions, but I have to. But also, I think he really, really appreciated those that were obedient. And in fact, he probably became a centurion because of his obedience. You know what I'm saying? He probably rose through the ranks because of obedience. If you want to rise through the ranks, you need to be obedient. Again, I'm speaking naturally and spiritually. Naturally, you're in a place, you're in a work scenario, and you say, I want to rise, be obedient. Not just do what you want to do. Don't sit there with your contract out. I tell you what, you can really see what's in people's hearts these days. When if you don't like it, you just call in your union rep. If you don't like it, you just say, oh, I'll have constructive, uh, thank you, you, you know. You know it better than me. Dismissal. If you don't like it, stuff them. Now, I, I know that, that some of those employment laws are there for a very good reason. Yeah, hear what I'm saying, not what I'm not saying. But I tell you what, there's some real chances out there that make the most of it. Do you hear what I'm saying? And those laws can be abused and they can be used in the right way. But, if you, but where you are, don't be like that. Be obedient. Be obedient when it hurts to be obedient. Serve when it hurts to serve. And know that promotion comes from the Lord. God is looking for an obedient heart. You'll never lose by being obedient. Never. Because it's God that will reward you. And so he had risen through the ranks. And he had risen through the ranks because he was an obedient soldier. You don't promote disobedient soldiers into authority. He had rose through the rank from the line, right there, and he knew what it was to serve. And when he became a centurion, he was mindful of his authority, but also he really appreciated the obedience of his soldiers and his servants. 
He didn't take it for granted. Hey, you do that. He appreciated their obedience because he knew that the only way that that uh, centurion and his soldiers, the only way that they would survive in battle is if the orders he gave were obeyed. It's the only way he would survive and they would survive. And so I think when we see this servant and he stands for his servant, it's loyalty. He thinks this servant, who obviously meant a lot to him, must have been obedient to him. He said, I say to this man, go, this man, do this. I, I say to my servant, and maybe he's speaking about his servant here in verse 9, he says, uh, and, I, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. But he didn't take the servant's obedience for granted. He really appreciated it. So now that his servant is laid out, paralyzed, and tormented, now remember, in those days, your servant or slave was your property. And he didn't say, oh, treated him like a car. Oh, my car's broken, need to get another one. He didn't just discard him now that he wasn't useful for him. On the contrary, he showed the same sort of servant leadership that Jesus was showing. This, this was like parallel. This was, there was so much of God in him. There was so much of Jesus in him, and I think that's why he recognized Jesus. I mean, he laid down his authority. He laid down his position. He refused to use force to get his ends and make Jesus come. And what did he do? He humbled himself. In front of everybody, he humbled himself. He denied his, 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 his authority, and he said, please, there's something I can't give an order to. I don't have the authority to deal with this situation, and I don't have the power. I know what authority is, and I know how to wield power but I've met something I don't have power over or authority over, and I'm not too humble, sorry, I'm not too proud to come to you for help. And he says he pleaded. So Jesus was like, well, you know, whatever. No, no, please, help me. I'm pleading. Listen to me. I'm a servant. My servant. And Jesus says, okay, I can see something in you. I have compassion. I will come and I will heal him. And he said, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof. You see, he understood the incredible authority of Jesus and respected it. Do you know, in those days, his commander-in-chief was considered a god, Caesar. Caesar was considered a god at those times. This was the problem with paying tax to Caesar because on that coin, when they said, shall we pay taxes to Caesar, on that coin it had a figurehead of Caesar and it had his title, King of Kings, he was God. And God, that he was a God. And so the idea was it would be blasphemy to use that. And so his own commander-in-chief was considered a God. If they came before Caesar, they would worship him. They would go to the temples and the soldiers would worship their commander-in-chief. But when he saw Jesus, he realized that this was the commander-in-chief that was worthy of worship because of the authority and power. So he said, Lord, I'm not worthy. If I'm not worthy to go into Caesar's household who considers himself a God, then I'm not worthy for you to come in my household. 
because of the authority. In other words, Jesus, you're not in my league. This was a carpenter, and yet he discerned and recognized power and authority. And then he goes on to compare his authority with Jesus' authority. And then Jesus says, I say to you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Why? Why did he not find such faith in Israel? One of the reasons was they were too familiar. Let's not be too familiar with spiritual authority, especially let's not be too familiar with God. I know that God is Abba Father, but he's also the Lord of glory and the King of kings. He's Lord. And we need, we need to have the sort of relationship with God where we know that we're his child, but we also know he's the king. And there's that sense of awe with that sense of intimacy. Intimacy without awe or respect is over-familiarity. Awe and respect without intimacy is fear. We need to appreciate the lamb and the lion and keep that balance in a a healthy way. And Jesus says, I've not found great faith even in Israel. Why? Because everybody was over-familiar with Jesus. Do you remember when he was in Nazareth and he would do no no, uh, miracle? And it was because he said, we know who you are. You're, you're, you're a carpenter. We know you. We went to school with you. We know your parents. You know, don't, you know, we, we, and they despised him. What? They did not recognize his what? You got it. You, you know where I'm going. You're seeing this very, very, very clearly. And the Pharisees that were around him, I mean, they saw the miracles. The, the religious ministers, the chiefs, they saw what he was doing. No Pharisee ever denied the miracles of Christ. But they were like, who do you think you are? We have a question for you. Always with the questions. Always with the questions. Sometimes people with all the questions are arrogant. You know what I'm saying? Not all the time, but sometimes they're asking you questions about things that are not important because they disdain the authority or the anointing that's on your life. And they're trying to pull you down to their woeful level. And And so... They, they, didn't, they didn't recognize this authority. And yet, then he said, I tell you, many will come from the east and west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Wow, this is amazing. The gospel has not yet even gone to the Gentiles. And Jesus is saying, this man, he's very much like Abraham. He's very much like Isaac. He's very much like Jacob. Israel doesn't recognize me by and large, don't, don't recognize my authority, don't, and dismiss my power. But this man, he reminds me of Abraham. This man, he reminds me of Isaac. This man reminds me of Jacob. In fact, when I sit down for a meal in the future with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and we need another person to come on the table... I think I'll call this centurion because he's so like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he's rebuking the Israelites because the next thing he says is pretty harsh. The sons of the kingdom, in this sense, meaning the Jews and Israel that haven't recognized him, will be cast out into outer darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So this is an incredible insight to what Jesus is saying about this centurion. That this centurion, this this Gentile dog, was worthy to sit down at the table with Abraham, Isaac, 
and Jacob. And in fact, the Jews and the religious folk that thought they would be first to be invited to the table are going to get kicked out of the restaurant, let alone will they not be sitting at the table. And having said this, he turns to the centurion and says, go your way as you have believed, let it be done for you. And his servant was healed that same hour. I think what we can take away from this is let's be like the centurion. Let's understand who Jesus is, that he has authority over sickness, but he also has authority over sin. Do you remember in that miracle of the paralyzed man? Do you remember that? And, I mean, you don't get any more sick than paralyzed from the neck downwards. And he was paralyzed on the outside, couldn't move a muscle. And he was paralyzed on the inside by sin. And he couldn't move. He couldn't even get himself to the place of healing. But thank God there was four KT Sunday afternoon evangelists (laughs) who weren't going to leave him where he were. And if Jesus couldn't go to him, they were going to take him to Jesus. So they went out and they got him and they saw the roof, but the roof didn't matter because they were KT evangelists. Someone said, well, we can't go through that roof. And another KT evangelist says, I don't understand the word can't. And they went through the roof by faith. And he's paralyzed on the outside and he's paralyzed on the inside. And Jesus sort of turns and again, very subtly, No big razzmatazz, no big sensationalism. Jesus is teaching, sees all the, come on, everybody's going to see what he's going to do. And you think, is it going to be the hour of power? Is this going to be on, you know, Christian channel tonight? And Jesus just turns to him and says, my son, your sins are forgiven you. Then carries on teaching. (laughs) And the man's not, doesn't, nothing, nothing changed on the outside because he can't, Show, my son, your sins are forgiven you. And then goes on teaching. Uh, But some people caught what he said. Whoa, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. Before you continue teaching your parables, wait a minute. I, I misheard, we misheard what you just said. Did you just tell that paralyzed man, who was probably paralyzed because of his sin, this has been their thinking. Did you just tell that paralyzed man that his sins were forgiven? Don't you know that no one has the authority to forgive sins except God alone? And Jesus said, oh, you're questioning my authority and my power. And Jesus said, so that you know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins, I say to you, take up your bed and walk. And immediately he walked. Now, what people couldn't see was although he was rigid, standing there, and Jesus just said the word, my son, your sins are forgiven. You couldn't see it. Maybe his eyelids were dancing, but on the inside, the man was leaping up and down as God's saving, forgiving power made him the only probably free man in the room. And on the inside, his spirit was born again. He was jumping up and down. But he couldn't show it. He couldn't show it. But then, when Jesus said just the same words, didn't speak in tongues for 20, well, maybe he did speak in 20 minutes beforehand. Didn't need to. Jesus doesn't need to speak in tongues. We do. (laughs) Didn't speak in tongues for 20 minutes beforehand. He just said, 
right, take up your pallet and walk. It was a command. And he did. And he was free. If you're in this place today, you just have to ask Jesus and he will forgive your sins. He has the authority to do it and he has the power to do it. He died to forgive you from his sins. And also, he has the authority and power to turn things around in your life. Let's stand together. No, no, actually, stay seated. Let's have the ministry team up. Let's get the words out. And then we're going to move into a time of ministry. While they're coming up with their words, ready, reach out to God. I've been speaking on authority and power tonight. That's wonderful. I've been speaking on authority and power tonight. And when we speak on the authority and power of Jesus, it's here. I mean, it's here right now. We don't have to jump up and down and crank it up, but it's here tonight. And I believe something significant is going to take place in our lives. If we approach him like the centurion, you've heard the authority of Jesus and the power of Jesus. And in a few moments' time, we're going to have these words. We're going to open up the front. We're going to pray for people for these words. And also for any sickness in this place tonight, I want you to come forward. We're going to pray to you. Any deliverance that's needed, any addictions that are needed tonight, we want to pray for you. And we want to have feedback so that next week or the week after, after the carnival, we, we, can, we, can, we can do these things. But firstly, I want you to be still and to listen as the Holy Spirit speaks certain things that he's going to do today. I believe um, the Lord is um, healing somebody, um, there's somebody here with a, a pain in the right um, toe. I believe the Lord is going to heal you. And also there's somebody here on your on the uh, left side of your neck, lower down, there's a pain there, the Lord is going to heal you. Yeah. yeah, just with regard to the, the toe, I believe it's somebody that is probably suffering with gout out anybody suffering with that we can pray with you with you for that a couple of things I, I believe the Lord wants to baptize some people in the Holy Spirit tonight so if you need that baptism come out in faith I strongly believe you will receive it and the other word is that I think there's someone here who's suffering from jaundice. I don't, I don't know whether it came about through drinking or whether you've got liver problems, but I believe there's someone suffering from jaundice. And if you come out and receive prayer, you will be healed. So if you don't speak in tongues, tonight's your night. What I have is that um, according to Jesus Christ, when um, Thomas could not believe all what the others have told him, so Jesus came back and he rebuked the unbelief inside the disciples. So a lot of us, we have to take away unbelief out of our life and hold on to that um, Mark 16 verse 17 that in the name of Jesus he said we can lay hands on the sick and it will be healed so the sick people in here tonight take away unbelief and come out by faith 
and we shall lay hand on you by faith, and you shall be healed. Hi, um, I believe that the Lord, um, he wants to restore people's hearts. Um, we had um, a vision of um, heart of flesh. God can only work if your heart is um, soft to him, that he can really speak to your heart and really restore you. We also believe in um, restoration, rest um, restoring your relationship back to the Lord. Um, it might be restoration with family. Um, I think Beverly was talking about mother and daughter. Um, but really just allowing God to restore, allow him to come into your life and really change your heart, taking away that stone and just giving you a real, a new heart, a new, a new beginning in him. Yeah, with regard to this, thank you. With regard to the relationship with mother and daughter, I really believe that you need to forgive your mother. It's a, a, it's a forgiveness issue and you will move forward and you will experience less frustration if you move in the area of forgiveness and forgiving your mother for whatever, whatever it is that she has done or not done. But, you know, frustration is there partly because there needs to be that breakthrough with the forgiveness. I'm hearing uh, this title, I've just been confirmed, it's a diagnosed thing. It's called post-traumatic post stress disorder. Oh, you guys know it. Um, if, if you've been diagnosed with this, then that means you probably had some help, but I want to pray for you. But there may be somebody here who that applies to, but they don't know it. So the way I, I, I see it is something has happened to you in the past, and it has genuinely affected your, your behavioral patterns. Yeah, so, um, yeah, come forward for prayer. God's going to do something. Um, during the sermon, um, the Lord spoke to me, and I believe that somebody's suffering from stomach pain on the left side of their stomach. It comes and goes, but they've been struggling with it for a while, and they don't know what the cause is. And um, the Lord just said whoever it is will be healed today so if anyone is suffering from stomach pain to come forward i'm just um confirming confirming what she said someone with, with um right pain at your right side at your stomach there's been pain so um, god wants to heal you today and i also believe that there are some people god wants to restore your joy the oil of joy joy of your salvation to do something. Wonderful. So what we do is we let all those words out and some of them may not mean anything to you, but it'll mean something to some. And that's the Holy Spirit. And when you hear those words, God's going to do what he said he's going to do. And with the ministry team, we're going to spend some time. We've got about half an hour where we're just going to press into the Lord. It's an opportunity for you to worship the Lord, to wait on the Lord. If you need to leave, when you need to leave, you're welcome to leave. But we've got half an hour of just seeking the Lord. Respond to those words if that's you. But also, as you've heard, this is an open place for everybody to receive prayer for anything. Amen. Amen. Let, let's now move into this time of worshiping the Lord and, and ministering. Let's stand together. Let's all begin together in worship and then begin to leave your seats for ministry. Today we're believing God's going to move and let's also minister to the Lord. Next Sunday, 6.30, by the way, I'll mention it now, that's when our 
carnival concert is going to begin and William Lee's going to be with us nine o'clock and eleven o'clock gypsy evangelist William Lee nine o'clock eleven o'clock next Sunday and seven o'clock just get the announcements out of the way let's minister to the Lord and to one another